0: my kids were refusing to eat the purple potatoes so i had to make them do blind taste tests and they couldn't tell the difference so i'm like ha eat your stupid potatoes it's not burned it's purple just eat it
1: so as chief summarizer in chief that job is usually quite delightful but on rare on rare occasions it is anything but delightful and um, and we are recording the night of november 9th uh, 2016 last night um our our country made a very peculiar choice that none of the three of us agree with. And we were debating what to do about the presidential election and and how we should handle it and what we should say about it, what we should talk about. And the conclusion the three of us came to is we wanted to acknowledge that it is a thing and it happened and we're upset, but otherwise carry on. It's going to do me some good to forget about this for a little while I think it's going to do you guys some good to forget about this for a while. And genuinely, no snark intended, it's our hope that it'll do you, the listener, some good to not think about that for a little while. Um, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, and I'm angry. but, um, But really, I'm going to get over these Mac Pros soon or the macbook pro soon i ruined my own joke look at that that's how i'm wow. angry I am. that's we're we're yeah, off we're, we're, yeah we're, we're gonna totally fix that in post but anyway but no seriously though um no I, I, all kidding aside we're all frustrated we're all upset and i'll give you guys a chance to weigh in if you have anything to add but it's going to be business as usual around here and um and we're going to try our best to just move along
2: yeah and, and i do want to clarify like you know we're we're not I'm not for a second going to forget that this just happened. And, I, and I, I'm not going to pretend that it didn't happen. I'm not going to forget what this means, what this signifies to so many Americans. This, this is not going to be forgotten uh, at all. But we have a tech show to do. So we're going to do the tech show. And hopefully that can help us and our listeners temporarily get a reprieve from what has happened.
0: Yeah, the show must go on, as they say. We've talked about this before. We will touch on social topics as they intersect with tech, and this you know, potentially intersects with everything, but I think this falls more into the category of what we mentioned on a past show, that if something really big happens, it would be weird if we didn't acknowledge it. But by the same token, especially with how all three of us are feeling today and how a lot of our listeners are feeling today, uh, the overwhelming consensus is we just want to do a regular show as a brief respite from... Uh, what we've all been dealing with today and will be dealing with going forward. So there you have it.
1: Yeah. So let's start with some follow-up. Um, Isako writes in to say, Apple did not ship an eDRAM slash Iris Pro Skylake on the 15-inch MacBook. It is HD 530. Uh, is that, We're talking about video cards. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that was in my reference to uh, what I was talking about on a past show where I said uh, that Apple kind of is – puts itself in a difficult position by demanding the the highest end, fanciest version of all of the chips especially with the biggest gpu embedded in them and be better if they went with the wimpier chips and just used the discrete. but that's what they actually did on the 15 inch i mean it's not wimpy it's the, the hd3 530 is one of the better ones but it's not the one with the embedded dram and the irish pro things so and no i'm not saying irish pro which is what everyone hears and <laughs> probably what i say half the time but i'm trying to say iris pro but
1: it's difficult <laughs> goodness all right moving along uh the touch bar apparently registers past the screen area particularly on the left hand side uh where the escape key well i guess it's not a key anymore the escape button would be um can we talk about how we know this or should we not talk about how we know this
0: uh there was a french website that posted something that someone a a listener translated for me um but the the just that is this is when we're discussing like it's a shame that they didn't have the touch bar go all the way to the left because you can reach the upper left-hand corner and feel for it. Um, and uh, But that part is not screen. We knew that for a fact from the, from day one. That part is not a screen. You can't draw the escape button up against the left edge of the bar. The question was, all right, so there's no image there, but is it touch-sensitive? And the answer is it's about half touch-sensitive. Like So if you just take the blank space where you can't show any pixels on the left side of the touch bar and divide it in half vertically... The left half of it does nothing you hit it doesn't do anything it's not touch sensitive it's not pressure sensitive it doesn't light up or anything the right half of the blank region doesn't light up but does register your touch in some way Uh, and because it's about the width of your finger you can pretty much take your finger and jam it on the left side of the touch bar and it will activate the escape key in fact it will activate the escape key even if no part of your finger is actually touching any of the pixels that make up the escape key or the picture of the escape key or whatever so. It's kind of a weird compromise like they almost got it to go edge to edge but not quite and I guess maybe when iFixit does a it tear down maybe they'll figure out why like uh, how do the touch sensors extend that far how far does the you know the screen go and, and so on and so forth.
2: Have either of you done with the, um, the, the simulated touch bar on an iPad yet?
1: No. Have you seen that app that does
0: that? Yeah, but it's the wrong size, isn't it? So it doesn't seem it like is. it would be much of a test of anything.
2: It's interesting. Like I, I ran, I ran that way yesterday for a while while I was working, and uh, it's it's actually kind of interesting. Well, I guess we'll put the link in the show notes. I forget uh, the URL offhand, but Stephen Stephen Stratton Smith has been tweeting it a lot here and there and different things. And basically, like you know, you have to have Xcode, you have to install the special build of. Ten twelve one that isn't the real ten twelve one, but it's a new ten twelve one with a different build number that you have to download separately at Apple's website. It's kind of a mess uh, to get it working, and then you have to like get it running on an iPad, which means you have to have a signing provisioning profile and everything. But if you can get past all of that, which is a lot, um, it is interesting to see. And so, you know, I just I placed my nine point seven inch iPad Pro right, you know, on top of my keyboard, kind of in the right spot where it should be. And um, it's interesting that, like, you know, so as you mentioned, it is significantly smaller than the real touch bar like i've been able to estimate from pictures that the real touch bar is 11 inches long or 10 inches long or something like that and and the ipad 9.7 the side of the screen is like seven point something inches long so it's substantially smaller and you can tell like the touch targets do feel a little bit small when you run the simulator but it is really cool to see like as you move throughout the os just to see what the touch bar actually does and how it responds the different things that are available You know, as as I mentioned at the end of last show, this really is showing that Apple's putting a lot of effort into the Mac, and and the Mac is not just some totally dead platform to them because they have a lot of stuff built for the Touch Bar already. Like it is so much, so many of the built-in apps already support the Touch Bar with some pretty useful stuff. Like there's there's like one um, there's like an uh, like an I. Uh, itunes widget that's kind of always showing whenever itunes is doing anything it looks like a little equalizer and you can tap that and it it converts the whole bar into basically an itunes scrubber with a couple of you know play pause buttons and it's i kind of and you can just leave that open the whole time you're working so you can if you if you like to scrub through songs or to see your progress through a song which is important when you listen to such incredibly lengthy songs as i do uh it's actually kind (laughs) of nice to see and 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 you can play with all this stuff like on this ipad thing it actually works pretty well um i would say if you are curious about the touch bar and if you if you have the patience and skill required to you know use xcode to open some open source thing and provision it to actually run on an ipad uh it's kind of cool to see and, but again like i'm not sure i would recommend it for full time use unless you have a 12.9 ipad pro because that that actually would be big enough uh i think i think that'd be about the right size but on a on 9.7 it's it's pretty tiny but it's cool to see and it, it works surprisingly well. Like, it's responsive. It, the animations are fluid. It's surprisingly good for this, like, two-day-old two hack, basically. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing to have this running on an iPad. Um, and I will say, though, having run this on this little thing above my keyboard on my desktop... I think John's concerns last episode about the the ergonomics of like looking up and down so far between a desktop screen and the front of your keyboard and that that distance being way further than how you how you adjust your eyes on a laptop um, that is a real problem and it's 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 a problem enough that uh, it's I'm not entirely sure the touch bar on desktop is ever going to make a lot of sense just because that really is odd and and kind of uncomfortable. I will say though. That now that I've seen how well this works, it is kind of an interesting idea. That what if Apple made an external Touch Bar that was just it by itself, that didn't include a keyboard necessarily? Maybe, you know, maybe you can get a keyboard that had one with it, but maybe they also sell an external one. Like, I mean, this is wishful thinking. I don't think they actually would do that. But this, like, once you use an iPad like this, you see, like, oh, this actually does work. It is kind of useful. And there could be something here if it was done well.
0: Where would you put the external touch bar? Above your keyboard, the same place I put mine. But isn't that that's the same problem with the whole desktop thing of like uh, the focal distance change and everything? Like what have you solved by having just a random external touch bar?
2: Well, you have quick access to, you know, it's it's kind of like having media keys on your keyboard, but, you know, on steroids. But you have to look at them. I have to look at most of my media
0: keys most of the time, too, because I never remember what, what's what. <laughs> well, they don't... You probably just have to glance, maybe, because you know sure. you're going for somewhere on the middle, like, but it, you're not... It's different difference between reading and just, like, you know, glancing to see where it is, but...
2: Well, but they're always in the yeah. same spot, like, you know, like, when... If you use
0: something... If you use a frequent item a lot, it's always going to be right there, I mean... Yeah, as long as that app is front most, like, that's the, that's the tricky bit. How did you find that in terms of the context switching? Because if you have a particular... Especially for media keys and stuff, like, I'm used to hitting play, pause on my keyboard to uh, you know to pause itunes at work but doesn't matter what app i'm in in my text editor i can hit play pause and it stops the music you know if someone comes over to my desk or something but i'm never actually in itunes well i wasn't using um any
2: third-party apps i was only using apple ones that that have support for this but uh things like having like when i I mentioned the expanded itunes view with the scrubber that stays up even if itunes is not front most which is kind of cool like that like that's just like it's one of the modes you you know like there's like all these buttons on the side that you can like the control strip part you mean that's that's always there yeah the thing on the right you can like toggle on certain modes that persist until you change them uh and that's just one of those modes like one of them is like the old function keys one of them is the itunes thing
0: You you guys never used the real control strip did you nope nope i did and it was awesome (laughs) congratulations (laughs) <laughs> congratulations John! <laughs> it, it was it was pluggable too you could buy third-party things that would add new tiles to the control script and you could you know configure it how you wanted yeah it was really nice um so it's come back but now it's on my keyboard and it comes from the other side by default actually you can't move the control script, can you you can't make it come from the left right it's always on the right side
1: i'm sure there'll be a p list entry for you john yeah. don't worry <laughs> no well
0: you can't even pin the dock to the I'm edge kidding. anymore are you kidding
1: This is why you never mess with those sorts of things, kids. This is why you embrace the defaults.
0: (laughs) Anyway, um, as for the big scrubber, that's one of my frustrations with uh, QuickTime Player and one of the many reasons why I still have QuickTime Player 7 installed and hope it never breaks uh, is frequently, I mean, I should probably just use a real audio editor like Vision or something, and sometimes I do, but sometimes you just want to open up an audio file and scrub to a particular timestamp, and it's a really long file because it's like a podcast or something, and you just can't do it in like when the the audio window is small. So I open it in QuickTime 7 and I stretch the audio window to really wide and <laughs> yep. suddenly I have a scrubber that's the entire width of my screen to give me the resolution. I suppose I could do that with the other QuickTime player too, but the point is I'm, I'm making a window bigger on a non-visual medium and the only reason I'm making the window bigger is because I want more precision in the scrubber. This brings us back to our old discussion about ideas of zooming and scrubbers and stuff. But anyway, if you have a screen that is the width of a QWERTY keyboard, that's a pretty good scrubber length, and you probably get decent resolution there, not as big as you'd get maybe on like a a giant five k display where you make it the entire width of the thing, but you know I mean, at a certain point, you need to just open an audio editor and zoom in on the waveform. I understand that, but uh, it's one of those hacks that you do
1: so in summary, Marco, touch bar tentatively optimistic, I mean, you sound pretty pleased with it in principle.
2: I mean I again i only I didn't get to try a real one yet i I sure think sure, it, sure time time will tell on this again. It seems pretty cool. Uh, I, I think if I were buying... Again, I, I think what I what I said last episode... The if one you before, were buying I, again yeah, like, laptop. If I were buying a laptop, a Mac laptop today, and I intended to use it as my primary computer, I would get the touch bar because it will... I, I think it will probably end up being really great. Um, reviewers seem to have them now, so we should hear fairly soon from people who have actual hands-on experience for more than 10, 10 minutes um we should hear from them how these are in practice and then hopefully sometime soon people will actually start being able to own these things i mean you know i don't i don't think any of the initial of the initial orders have shipped yet because they all had like that two to three week ship date estimate uh, at first so i don't think anybody actually has one yet except a couple of reviewers but uh, i do look forward to hearing what they say having used the real one not some ipad approximation of it but the ipad approximation was pretty good
1: that's awesome. I'm I'm really looking forward to trying this one day, eventually, maybe. Uh, John, tell me about the next Mac Pro. Is it going to be an all-in-one?
0: This is a topic that has come up on lots of past shows and has been gaining steam as people hear us moan about the Mac Pro. And Marco wrote a big piece about the advantages of Pro and, and all that. Um, and it's seeming to me, you know, probably many months out from any potential movement on this front, that if Apple is not going to make another mac pro in the style that we expect it to be as in a computer that doesn't have a monitor like if they're you know if they're not going to make another trash can if they're reimagining the mac pro as something other than a trash can the most likely reimagining is what everyone keeps referring to as an imac pro which is a big 5k screen with a bunch of computer crap stuck to the back of it and the only difference would be that the computer crap stuck to the back of it is more pro-ish and so then it's the question like <laughs> Can you fit a Xeon in there? Can you actually put a decent graphic card in there? Um, there's a lot of room behind a 5K display. I, obviously, they want it to be super skinny, and, and they're kind of like the, their own self-imposed constraints, especially on the back of the display, because like you don't even see that when you're looking at in the front. It doesn't need to be portable, except for that guy who brings his iMac to uh, Panera Bread to play World of Warcraft. Naturally. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, realistically, you could totally do that. Now, if Apple did it, I assume they would make their life more difficult... By still trying to make it thin and using all their uh, skills uh, honed by working on these super slim MacBook Pros and on their iDevices to continue to make it skinny. And use clever heat routing and venting and special fans and whatever to make it so it doesn't melt. Um, And so these days, as I dwell about the Mac Pro in bits and pieces, I start thinking about a Mac Pro that looks like an iMac and thinking they could fit some pretty good stuff in there. Maybe they won't even go with Xeons. Maybe they'll just try to use better desktop chips and have a higher RAM ceiling and a bigger GPU. Maybe it really literally is named iMac Pro. Or maybe it's just called Mac Pro and the new Mac Pro is an all all-in-one. You know, like, I guess this is the bargaining stage here. I'm like, all right. I was just about to say that. Get out (laughs) of my head. Oh, my gosh. Make me a matte black Mac Pro-shaped thing with a decent GPU and a Xeon and ECC RAM with a high limit. I'd buy it. Yeah. I mean, that's...
2: I would love that myself. I, I would absolutely love that. And, you know, the thing is, like, you know, again, it, I mean, this totally is bargaining. But I, at this point, I'll take what we can get. You know, if if they can make something that is Mac Pro-like, that happens to be an all-in-one, that will cut out certain use cases. That will make certain people who would have bought a Tower Mac Pro not buy it. Uh, and that will possibly hurt its sales. But if that's what Apple has to do to make it palatable to Tim Cook and Johnny Ive, then I guess we'll, you know, I, I would take that over no Mac Pro, you know, so I don't know. But I, I think the question of what you could put into that depends entirely on the cooling setup. You know, if you look at the way the Tube Mac Pro is set up, which by the way, like, and I didn't mention this too much in the post, I, I, but the, the Tube Mac Pro has a serious problem that the GPUs die frequently. And this is this has never really been much in the public eye because not a lot of people own these machines, relatively speaking. Uh, but the, there's a massive like GPU death flaw in the Tube Mac Pro.
0: I brought this up about about your article, and you didn't add it to your article, did you?
2: Well, I here's the thing. Okay, a lot of people have first asked me the question of like, why do I presume the Mac Pro is dead? And I'll tell you right now, we have heard tips from so many different sources. And they all conflict with each other. Every single, every single tip we've heard is different from a different one we've heard. Some of them are in direct contradiction. I've heard that the Mac Pro is already dead. I've heard that the Mac Pro is on hold. I've heard that the Mac Pro is not dead but going to take a different form. That the Mac Pro is very much alive that the mac pro is
0: coming between last month and next summer (laughs) but see i think all of those i think all of those things the reason i'm big on the imac pro is because i think it fits all of them because the people saying it's dead what they really mean is the trash can is dead check people say it's coming but in a new form that's that's the imac pro form factor the dates nobody knows those so forget about it well, What I haven't heard is anything like is it Skylike E or not because that's really I think that is really about the the death of the Mac Pro. If it's if it's not the Xeons, if it's just a desktop chips with a better CPU, then it literally is just a better iMac. Which you know, hey, we'll take what we can get. But but anyway, getting getting back to cooling, like one of the things you listed on on your article of why we should have a Mac Pro is so it doesn't you know howl like a laptop when you push it hard. And the iMac doesn't howl like a laptop. It kind of moans like an iMac. Like it's not <laughs> it's not as quiet as the Mac Pro. And I have to say that's. That's not a, I keep using like luxurious or elegant or whatever, but like it, there, if you have hardware empathy, empathy for the machine, which I think I've talked about on uh, on past podcasts, <laughs> and you try to do something that stresses your computer and it is just, the, just the fans are just going, you hear it whirring. There's a certain baseline level of anxiety that I feel about that. I mean, it's kind of an annoying sound, first of all. And second of all, you're like is this, is everything okay? Am I, you know, is it good to do this? What What if your laptop sounded like that, you know, eight hours a day while you worked? Like, it can't be good for the thing to be, and, and it is an annoying sound. It feels better to get a big honking machine that you can stress to its limits. And it, you know, and it doesn't make a big racket. And so the iMac does not fulfill that criteria. And and the reason I brought up to, to Marco about his article is like, that is an advantage of the Mac Pro. The, the idealized Mac Pro, or of course the 2008 Mac Pro that I'm sitting next to, uh, which is humongous and weighs 50 pounds. Uh, but the trashcan Mac Pro fulfills the quietness ideal, but not so much the not melting ideal, which is, is an important part the power and elegance formula for the mac pro is you can be quiet and have good cooling but that also means the parts that are inside of you can't die from excessive heat and so the current trash can one current the 2013 trash can has had a history of perhaps not doing so well on removing the heat but it's pretty quiet yeah but anyway i wrote this article
2: with the presumption that the mac pro is either dead or quote on hold, whatever that means and the point of this article is not to keep people's hopes up that it's not dead yet the point of this article is to help convince the people at apple that if this thing is truly either dead or postponed or on hold or whatever to try to convince them that i don't think that's the right move and and basically please don't do that and it has gotten a large response very large response and and so i think i think i've hit on something here and and, and when you when you see the article in that way that's why at the beginning i assume that it's gone and i didn't bring up like you know here's why the current trash can overheats the gpus because you know that that is a real problem but that that didn't really need to be in there i did mention here's why the current trash can sales might not be very good and why you
0: shouldn't use that yeah, i think the overheating is one of them like, that's, I think, like, highlighting, you know, it's not that we, you know, you did bring this up, it's not that we, nobody liked the Mac Pro, it's that you changed it so much, and the ways that you changed it were maybe not palatable to all the people who buy Mac Pros, and it's not as if, you know, well, the Mac Pro is not for you, it's like, well, it's gotta be for somebody, and apparently the trash can Mac Pro was not for enough people, so, and one of the things is reliability, one, you know, said one of the things you expect is, Quietness, able to handle high load and reliable. That's why you got the ECC RAM. That's why you have the you know workstation class components, whatever the hell you want to call them, Uh, and you know that is not super duper overclocked. That is supposed to be a reliable piece of hardware. And the trash can never quite fulfilled that. So it's yet another reason to add to the pile of why the trash can might not have been successful that is not oh you know there's there's no market for a pro mac anymore because i think there still is it's small it's as small as it's ever been but you have to actually serve that market if you want to sell into it exactly but anyway so in summary my article
2: was basically a letter to apple presuming that they've killed the mac pro trying to trying to shoot down reasons that they might be using internally why they shouldn't make this computer anymore and it just so happened to be also wrapped up in some other things that pros might like and everything else because that's how I feel. Uh, and, and my love for Mac OS and not wanting to leave Mac OS. Because, like, what am I going to do? Go use Windows? No. Windows is horrible. Sorry, all the people who responded to me saying that that's a stupid thing to say. No. Oh, it's it, true. See? It's true. Casey is an official Windowser.
1: Well, I was, I was and then I wasn't. And... More recently than me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I installed Windows 10 just uh, two weeks ago or something like that. What happened? Are, are you okay? Uh, don't even get me started. I, I've i I installed Windows 10 and I was genuinely like hand on heart. I'm not trying to be funny. I was look, kind of looking forward to it in a way because everyone anytime I'd ever seen anyone talk about Windows 10, I'd always heard, oh, you know, it's really good now. It's good. It's good. You know, it's not bad at all. Um, and I installed it and it is just as bad as everything has always been. And I think we talked about this already on the last show, so I won't belabor it anymore. But it's terrible. Don't believe otherwise. It's terrible. So anyway, uh, moving on. So one of you put this in the show notes, and this is a genuinely great question. Uh, what external monitors are Apple employees using with laptops?
0: Well, for now, they're probably using Thunderbolt displays, but this this uh, question or idea was brought up in many different forms that a surprising number of uh, supposedly, you know, presumably completely independent people came up with this one scenario. Hey, Apple's got the new spaceship campus with the cool-looking office that's shaped like a ring and all this, you know open seating or whatever and these they were trying to say like what would it be like to walk into this spaceship campus and see the Apple engineers diligently working as if you'd actually be able to see where they work because you probably can't because (laughs) it's badge entry. But anyway, this is these are people writing in like and presumably those people would have laptops because hey Apple doesn't make desktops anymore and who who would use an iMac and whatever, whatever. But you know, people with laptops, as we mentioned, even Apple laptops, when they're sitting at a desk, might like to have a bigger screen to do stuff on, right? Because it's one of the advantages of sitting down or standing at a standing desk or whatever. You can have a much bigger screen or multiple screens or whatever. And for all these people asking this question, they couldn't envision a scenario where Apple's headquarters was filled with people using Apple laptops connected to non-apple monitors is it because non-apple monitors are ugly is it because they wouldn't match is it because it wouldn't fit their ideal of these architect sketches of this beautiful pristine apple place where everything is all apple and perfect and the tables are made from one giant continuous piece of wood painstakingly manufactured in germany or whatever that's probably part of it but the practical consideration is you know it was brought up before apple's monitors for a while have been made to connect to laptops if they don't make any monitors which it seems like they're not anymore And if the Mac Pro either disappears or becomes an all-in-one, what are all the laptops going to connect to? And I guess the other connected question to this is the question of target display mode for iMacs, which used to be a thing and then wasn't. uh, But now with the advent of Thunderbolt 3, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, in theory you can buy an iMac and just use it as a monitor when you sit down and connect your laptop to it, which would be like the world's most expensive monitor. Not really, actually, because the Apple 30-inch is probably still more money. But uh, it would be a very expensive monitor, and a total waste of the internals. But technically, it is possible, and that would be an out to let Apple's campus photos continue to be completely apple from top to bottom. Realistically speaking, as for the campus pictures you're not going to see any except for reception and those are going to be IMAX and they're going to be all in one and they're going to have a big Apple logo on them and it'll be fine. Uh,
1: I think I speak for all of us in saying we have some friends at Apple and one of my friends at Apple, I know for a fact is rolling the Dell 5k display as I believe a child to his 5k iMac at the office. I am
0: the LG or
1: the, no, the Dell,
0: oh the, the double cable one.
1: Correct. Um, I'm, Maybe this is his home machine, I, I so I might be lying uh, unintentionally, but I am almost positive that this is his work machine. It's a 5K iMac connected to this double-cabled um, double, double cabled to this Dell 5K display. Dude. And so in the future, I would expect it would be the LG 5K display. And
0: you're never going to see that because he can't take you to see his
2: office anyway.
1: Right, exactly.
2: I have, I have no idea what an Apple developer office even looks like. like I don't think I've ever seen a <laughs> single picture of one of anybody's ever.
0: You should, you should go look up what they looked like in the 90s. They were awesome. People had the <laughs> giant, giant 840 AVs with the, with the uh, CRT monitor with two big speakers on the bottom and because they would, you know, they would hoard the fanciest Mac hardware. Like, I think it was it was more of a big deal back when Macs were just so much more expensive than they are. Now, again, if you look at the original purchase price of the Mac 2 FX and convert it to $2016, you will be very surprised um so but if you worked at apple you got access that stuff so i remember a lot of like cubicle farm pictures from the 90s they had offices not cubicles but anyway very sort of you know if if you are listening to this and you are a a 90s era apple employee and have photos of your cool setups in your offices send them a couple of them uh send us a couple of them because i love seeing those Um, and i'm sure they are not quite what they look like today i have not actually seen the inside of an actual human working person's office at Apple in recent years, so I don't know what they're like, but I do know that Apple right now has many different buildings that vary widely in how nice they are, how modern they are, when they were built, what the accommodations are like, and the spaceship will be yet another iteration. Uh, I think of the spaceship; they have a bunch of mock-ups. You can see pictures of what they expect the the work areas to be like and the offices to be like. But there is no like what does an Apple office look like because Apple's campus. Is so much bigger than the giant one infinite loop building. It's so many other buildings scattered all over the place and they are very different from each other.
1: Fair enough. So tell us, speaking of displays and cabling, tell us about DisplayPort.
0: Someone wrote in with a bunch of facts about DisplayPort. And we've talked about all these bits and pieces before. We've talked about how we didn't think there was going to be an external 5K display for a long time because uh you couldn't run it over displayport at the current standard we were on displayport 1.2 and you didn't have you can only do up to 4k um and we're like well, maybe when displayport 1.3 comes but that's not going to be out for a long time so what are they going to do we found out the answer to that um was that they're going to do this uh you know what they do with the lg display it's one cable it's not two cables and they just stream multiple displayport 1.2 streams over it um but this information we got sent as a summary uh brought home another reality which is that even when DisplayPort 1.3 comes. It still is not your savior, not that we need a savior anymore because we have a solution, but it is not your savior for connecting your 5K display because display part 1.3 only does 5K at 60 frames per second at 8 bits per component, whereas display part 1.2 goes up to 4K at 60 frames per second at 10 bits per component, which is important if you're doing fancy photo and video work and don't want to see like color banding and all of the crap. Um, and also, the Alpine Ridge Thunderbolt chipset can't receive... That DisplayPort 1.3 input anyway, so it's kind of a, a moot point. Um, so we are going to be in the world of d- two DisplayPort 1.2 streams being tunneled over FireWire for a while, because that's the only way you can get uh, 5K at 60 frames per second at 10 bits per component. Um, so maybe DisplayPort 1.4 will do it in a single stream. I don't know. Um, and as for Thunderbolt, the Thunderbolt angle Thunderbolt one could send two display port 1.1 streams thunderbolt 3 can send two display port 1.2 streams obviously we know it can do that because it does it with the lg display um, and when thunderbolt 3 does that it still leaves 10 gigabits per second of bandwidth left over for other stuff so good, that is good. the magic that makes the uh laptops being connected to lg display work and that is like if you were to take that back in time and show that to someone like 15 years ago you're you're gonna output how much video over this skinny little thing you know when we had we were just connecting like the adc connector or dvi or these big hunkin' and multi-pin parallel things with big thick cables at resolutions that are you know a, a tiny fraction of the current one and now we're able to do this you know it is which is still kind of a hack taking those two display part one by two streams and streaming them over this one cable because the the standards don't have enough to fill the whole screen and then putting them back together with a display controller and everything, that is, uh, that's a—that's very impressive. Um, and we mentioned multi-streaming, sometimes abbreviated MST. That actually refers to the part of the DisplayPort 1.2 spec that lets you tunnel two DisplayPort 1.1 streams over it. And I keep saying DisplayPort 1.2, 1.1, and 1.3, but the abbreviation that's used frequently is HBR, which helpfully stands for high bitrate. And DisplayPort 1.1 is HBR. DisplayPort 1.2 is HBR2, And DisplayPort 1.3 is HBR3. I don't know if that adds any clarification, but that's how it's referred to in this email and some of the literature. Clear as mud. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's a good thing we didn't have to wait for DisplayPort 1.3. And it's really cool what Apple did to get the the external 5K display working just in time for them to not introduce a new Mac Pro. Um, And finally somewhat tangentially related to this we got an anonymous as yet unconfirmed tip that no the lg display does not have a gpu in it which makes sense in light of the display port stuff because why would it need a gpu if they can output two display port 1.2 streams over the single cable the lg display can just receive them and make one image out of them and bob's your uncle as they say
1: (laughs) okay uh, and then and as a final note, and this is clearly for John, tell me about the MacBook Pro as the naked robotic core, if you please.
0: This is another topic that many listeners have brought up. Uh, the naked robotic core for a brief review is the idea for the iDevices, specifically the iPhone, that Apple wants to make the smallest, skinniest thing possible even if it doesn't function as a complete phone and then allow people to augment it either by with cases or battery cases or colors or whatever, that they don't sell you the entire phone, they sell you the naked robotic core, and then you dress it up to be the phone that you really want it to be. Because if Apple made those choices and put a, a rubberized, rugged case on the thing for you or made it thicker and bigger and ruggedized, the people who wanted a skinny little silver thing couldn't have it. And the people who wanted a different color couldn't have it and so on and so forth. So they're like, here you go. Here's the naked robotic core. Add to it whatever you want. That's uh, strategy has been discussed a long time as a you know it's trying to get into apple's head about why they keep making their phones thinner and slippery and and all this other stuff um and so a couple people brought that up for the macbook pro is the macbook pro a naked robotic core and my initial instinct was say was no because you don't put a case on your thing although a battery case for a macbook pro would be awesome but you don't like they do have external batteries for it but it's not it's not like you put a flowery case on it so when you accidentally drop it it doesn't get dinged like it's not it's a different size class of item than a phone doesn't seem like they're selling you the skinniest thing possible and allowing you to bulk it up by adding stuff to it although i, I suppose you could do that and i'm sure someone out there makes a case for the macbook pro but i thought about it a little bit more one aspect of it does seem kind of naked robotic Corey, and it gets into the idea of the uh, the thunderbolt 3 ports that uh that again as I uh, as discussed last show i'm in favor of going to a bunch of uniform very small multi-purpose ports that can do everything they're cool uh they're multi-purpose they can do a lot of things but one of the aspects of thunderbolt ports there that makes them so multi-purpose is they are like an externalization of pci or pci express that necessitates the externalization of certain components for example like this one little tiny plug i can plug in here and i can do video out to dvi to vga to mini Display Port, to thunderbolt display uh, hdmi look at all these different options i have i don't have to put 17 different video ports on the side of my mac I can just have this one little skinny port. But the price for doing that is that you have externalized all the circuitry required to make HDMI output work, to make DVI output work. Because as we've discussed and seen in the past, lots of these adapters have chips in them. And those chips aren't just like optional and will go away, you know, once once the world gets fixed. like It's because the thing that's coming out of that, uh, that port that lets you do that is not video if only my projector could understand it. It is an externalization of the PCI bus. So there needs to be some chips to deal with that. And not that's not true for all things. Like USB, you could connect right to it. So when we all convert to USB C on all our devices everywhere, we won't have that problem. But certain devices still have some part that could have been inside the computer if there was a big honkin' port moved to the outside of the computer. Now, those components are small and often they fit in a little adapter that you wouldn't even see. And in theory, they could also be moved into the devices eventually. But for a while, I think. One of the prices of this beautiful uniform f- future, not just the fact that we have dongles, but that Apple is pushing some logic, some active logic, outside of their computer case. It used to be in the inside, and now they're giving you the naked, even less robotic core because some of the roboticness has been moved outside the case. So I've been I've been thinking about that and thinking: Is there a future where you plop down your super skinny Mac laptop, and the only thing you ever plug into it is super skinny? beautiful slender cables none of which have a big white dongle brick that contains the impossibly small active chip to do some sort of translation i mean, and one thing
2: that, that i think is uh, a necessary uh regression of this move though uh, of the move to externalizing all of these different little things and 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 you know pouring all of the complexity and capability of adapting to different ports and protocols and adding different things you know onto external devices one of the downsides of this is that the ones that you put in the computer you could control the quality of and oftentimes they came for free with the intel chipset or whatever else or you know and you could make pretty good things like usb controllers and hdmi outputs and everything else in the current way of doing things uh, of externalizing to all these dongles and adapters and stuff you are basically forcing people to buy something from someone who knows who and who, who knows who's making the thing on the inside to get the capability you used to get with like nice, reliable built in stuff. And some of the, or many of the things that you are adding on onto uh, are these like, you know, cheap, no name brands from Amazon or eBay or whatever. <laughs> and then like, I, I feel like it's, it's going to be a similar problem as like, finding a good USB hub, which is very difficult. They they Good USB hubs do exist, but you it's, they're so hard to find reliably that uh, they basically don't exist. And so, like, USB devices, in practice, once you need more of them than what your computer has ports for, they just become less reliable because your hub is probably less reliable, and it's very hard to find one that isn't or very hard to diagnose that problem. Um, and once you require... Uh, fairly pricey Apple dongles, and we will get to this. Uh, but fairly pricey Apple dongles, uh, to to do basic things everyone needs, like, you know, or not everyone basic things a lot of people need, like USB A adapters or HDMI or things like that. Uh, because the first party ones are so expensive, many people in reality are going to go buy third party ones from Amazon or whatever, and they're going to be less reliable, they're going to be less controllable, they're going to be less predictable, uh, you know, in in many cases, not all, but many cases. And I feel like that's kind of a step backwards in, in a lot of ways. Like, we used to have these nice, reliable, internal ports for all these things, and while it's great to have the versatility of these kind of everything ports now, and while it's great to save the the thickness of them if you want a thinner laptop, it is definitely a step backwards to have to rely on some, like, 50-cent, Chip inside of a god knows who made it cable for something that you find pretty important to to getting your work done.
1: Well, uh, okay, that's certainly possible, but I don't know if the sky is really falling at Chicken Little. I mean, <laughs> the, no, we I didn't don't say know. It was. What, well, we don't know what the quality of these things is going to be, and I think that in general, like USB hub, is a good counter argument that that I don't have a good answer for. But in general,
0: well, the USB is built in though. That's the that's the. The USB will be inside the thing. It's when you externalize PCI Express and say this adapter works by pretending it's like a device on the PCI bus and it has a chip for translating the video, you know, pull, pulling the video off. And what was that one that had like, well, the, the iPad one had like an H.264 encoder thing in there, <laughs> yep. or a tiny little iOS device. And like that kind of stuff goes on. That's where you're moving stuff outside. USB should be just a matter of everyone please update your connectors to not be those big old things. Like I see, I see a light at the end of the tunnel for the USB angle, but I see less light for things like display adapters or even something as people mentioned like ethernet, which is very common and standard and you expect to just work. But if there has to be a chip in your ethernet adapter, then it's like Marco said, you are kind of at the mercy of uh, the, the quality of the adapter. The bright side is if it breaks Unlike the little chip break on your motherboard, you just buy a new adapter. So there's up up and downsides.
1: Yeah, and I'm I don't think that we should go and assume that the quality is going to be subpar right out of the gate. And certainly there will be one or two of, of any kind of device, uh, one or two Ethernet adapters, one or two SD card readers, etc. That will be crappy. But I, I don't. I think it's a bit premature to just assume that anything outside of the case is going to be crap. And even if there's a glut of things that are crappy, I mean that's in principle, why Amazon has reviews and why you can ask your friends, hey, does this one work for you? Um, and, And hopefully Apple would only carry things that they feel are of a decent quality, even if it doesn't have the Apple logo on it. Uh, it's certainly possible that this stuff will all be crap, but I think it's way too soon to get worked up about.
0: Well, Apple will make stuff anyway. Like, so if you just want the Apple quality ones, Apple will make them and sell them to you for, for way too much money. But, but there's an interesting side
2: effect to that too. If you noticed that they've outsourced a lot of the current ones to Belkin, like they, they've outsourced the, um, the ethernet to Belkin. I think one. Dual lightning. Or, dual. Yeah. The, the dual lightning, that horrible splitter that lets you charge and listen to your lightning headphones. It's <laughs> the worst thing ever you pay like 40 bucks for this thing has, this giant thing that has two lightning ports out one lightning port in so that you plug it into your iphone you have this giant dongle and then you also have to have the headphone dongle to plug that into the second lightning port. why couldn't they, why couldn't they just have it be lightning out and headphone out why did oh,
0: that thing that's, that's another angle on this i was like i would mind the chips and the adapters and the external externalization of all this all active logic less if it was smaller that adapter in particular is comically large for yeah. the function just, just like i understand you have to have active logic ideally it would be like the little you know the what do you call lighting the headphone adapter where it's like i didn't even know there was a chip in there it's so darn small like that's how they should all be when it's a giant white brick then it is you know that's That makes me feel bad about externalizing it. And I assume that stuff will go down over time and they'll shrink and they'll get better and so on and so forth. So there is some light at the end of the tunnel there. Um, but I still do think about the pushing of the chips outside of the laptop case, especially since on a 15-inch laptop, that's a pretty big case. So at some point, uh, if we can't get the world to get on board with putting these chips in their devices and we still have to have an adapter with a dongle, it would be nice to maybe move one or two of the most often used ones to the side of, of that thing. Or, or, or if you're not going to do that, put like three more of those ports on the side, because there's so much room on, on the 15-inch MacBook Pro. Things are looking kind of lonely there with just those two tiny little openings.
2: We're sponsored this week by Eero. Visit Eero.com, that's E-E-R-O.com, and get overnight shipping at checkout for free by using code ATP. Eero is basically the Wi-Fi router of the future, not the past. Our homes are coming online. We have speakers, we have thermostats, we have light bulbs, front door locks, security cameras, all this stuff that all has Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is probably the technology we depend on the most, the core of the utility of the 21st century home. Now, Wi-Fi is broken because it doesn't really reach your whole house most of the time or your whole apartment most of the time because there's walls, there's dead zones, you know, you have one room that's too far away from it or whatever else eero was designed to change all of this they make a single device it's a small elegant box and you can buy any number of these to cover your house. You know, you, you can buy just one, but they recommend that you buy two or three. And here's how this works. You plug one into your internet connection. You plug the other one or two or however many you have just into the wall somewhere further away from it. And they all talk to each other on a private mesh network, which makes them much better than typical range extenders. Uh, and then they create one giant Wi-Fi network that just blankets your entire place in Wi-Fi. And setting this up could not be easier. Normally, you know, there have been solutions that are kind of like this for a while, but they've been a pain to set up, or they've or they depended on things like range extenders, which are very very slow. Eero gets around this. It is not like range extenders because it has that back end network that it talks to it. They talk to each other off of the regular network, so it doesn't clog it up. And their app makes setup such a breeze. It is so ridiculously easy to set up multiple access points with Eero. And then when you have multiple broadcast points your home gets covered so much more effectively than it does if you just have one router. No matter how many crazy antennas that router has on it, multiple points of Wi-Fi cover your house way better. And Eero makes so much other stuff easier. They have things like parental controls. They can update their app and add new features uh, all the time. They do this all the time. They've done done 12 updates so far since launch, with many more to come. Check it out today. Go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. And at checkout, you can select overnight shipping and enter code ATP to make it free. So once again, go to Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com for an amazing Wi-Fi setup and use code ATP to make overnight shipping free. Thanks a lot to Eero for
1: sponsoring our show. Since the last show, Apple has made a very curious move. They have cut the prices on USB-C peripherals. And we'll put a link in the show notes to a post on iMore from a friend of the show, Renee Ritchie, that breaks down kind of the, the price changes that have happened. And so as a couple of examples, the USB-C to traditional USB-C went from $19 to $9. Uh, the USB-C to lightning cable went from $25 to $19, et cetera, et cetera. But what's particularly interesting about this is, is that the LG displays the 4K and 5K displays are also getting discounted. I don't recall how much the 5K was before. Was it like 1300? I think it was 1300, yeah. And now it's $974. Still not available for order quite yet, but it's going to be $974 until the end of the year and that's that's how long all of these um all these discounts will be going on. That's a really interesting move and You know, there's like I feel like there's a pessimistic and an optimistic take on this. The optimistic take is Apple's listening and they're responding and they're trying to make all of our grumbling go well, maybe not go away, but make it easier on us for those of us who are professionals or think we're professionals and need a whole bunch of dongles. And so, on the plus side, Apple's listening and they're trying they're trying to react. That's one way of looking at it, and I'm assuming that you guys will have alternative ways of looking at it.
2: Well, it's I think it's a damage control to some degree. I think it's pretty clear yeah, that mm-hmm. that Apple you know released these new MacBook Pros. I think the the reaction uh, to the new MacBook Pros has been less positive than Apple expected. I think that's pretty safe to say, um, and you can read between some lines on that. And I think Phil even came just about to saying that in some interview somewhere basically the reaction has been you know not as positive as they wanted and so they're trying to do damage control and that's what you know like they begin all their statements basically by saying how well this macbook pro is selling um that's great and there's all these qualifiers like it's the best selling pro laptop that we've ever had on our website and you know so there's all these qualifiers and everything but obviously it's selling well it's not going to be a flop or anything but They are getting a lot of criticism for it. So this is obvious damage control, and I think you know. I think Gruber's tip or Gruber's um, note about it, I think on Twitter somewhere, was that you know he thinks maybe they don't want it to appear like a money grab. Like like the reason they moved to USB C, they don't want it to appear like it was purely for profit reasons to sell a bunch of adapters and stuff. And I believe that. I I think you know. I'm I'm sure Apple is not. Sorry that they're going to make a lot more money from adapters and stuff than than before. I, I think that's a happy side effect. I don't think that was the primary reason why they did it. I think the primary reason they did it was to make the laptop thinner, lighter, and simpler, save on component costs internal to the laptop, uh, make it easier to engineer by having fewer ports on the outside, easier to service, fewer things that will die or break or, or have things stuck in them or or you know otherwise need warranty service. And then finally, of course, because they believe in the future of whatever. Uh, I believe those are all reasons why they made only USB-C plus a couple of headphone jacks, Um, why they made those things all the standard ports and nothing else. However, you could very easily look at this and you could say, well, you know, they did this just to make money on adapters. So I think that was was probably one of the things they were trying to combat with this. I, I think they were also just trying to apologize maybe to power users in in a very small and relatively inexpensive inexpensive way that doesn't admit any fault about anything (laughs) you know like it's basically it it, it's a pr feel-good move similar to the free bumper case for the iphone 4 with antenna gate like it's a it's a pr like make you feel better and make make it look like we're not just being greedy for adapter prices that being said these dongles and stuff are still very expensive. Like, they're still Apple prices. <laughs> they're still more expensive than they need to be. And I think it's weird that the price cuts are temporary. Like, that. Like the fact that it only runs to the end of the year, like, if they really wanted it to not look like it was about dongle profits, they should have made the price cuts permanent. Because these price cuts are not... They, they don't appear to be unsustainable. Like they, Like, knowing roughly what margins tend to be at retail things like this, and and knowing that most of these probably have very few parts in them and are probably very inexpensive and are probably very profitable to, be, to begin with, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if most of these had at least a 50% margin and probably a larger one. And they've cut the prices by like, you know, 25 to 50% basically. So uh, I, I would be very, very surprised. If any of these things were actually losing money at the current prices,
0: that's Uh, not sustainable by Apple standards because they need forty percent margin on everything. So I I agree that the margins are probably way over forty percent for accessories, and they've cut them down to what I think is below forty percent. Although I think they should maybe revisit that because if they if if they can't make them, like if they're getting fifty percent margins on these things, they're spending perhaps too much money making them. Not that I'm saying they should make them crappier, but At then fifty percent that was being that was a conservative estimate. I'm guessing the margins
2: are more like eighty uh, percent. it's they're a lot on this kind of stuff usually.
0: They they do make like all their stuff. They make their even their little adapters very carefully. Not so much in terms of reliability, as a million people who will send us pictures of their totally destroyed things will come. But in terms <laughs> of tolerances and industrial design, they're they're precision-engineered products. There's not a lot of plastic mold lines on them all the edges are straight and crisp Uh, they look like little pieces of art which also makes them bad adapters in many cases but i'm just saying like it's (laughs) it costs money to do that Uh, and and they come in little and the reason i know this is i bought a bunch of them i'll get back to the temporary pricing in a second they come in little rectangular boxes that are beautiful origami folded and you know they're just they're they're not just like a little plastic bag that you get, like, with Amazon Basics and the frustration of repackaging of just this cable <laughs> thrown in there, right? And, you know, and like I said, in, in terms of how they perform as actual adapters, I don't think they're actually better than the other ones, but I do see that where some of the money is spent on them. So I think they would, in general, they would be better off make, finding a way to manufacture their adapters for less money giving up some some of the beauty and elegance and at the same time making them more reliable adapters and the reason i bought a bunch of them is what you're getting at the temporary pricing it's you know if you want a pessimistic take this is what i thought when i saw it oh it's nice they're doing something to you know be nice to all those people who are like posting horror stories that i bought a new macbook pro and also 300 dollars worth of adapters so i could use the damn thing right that's a bad <laughs> look for apple so like now you won't have to spend 150 dollars worth of adapters but only until the end of the year. So what happens at the end of the year? By the end of the year, has everyone updated all their offices to have connectors that don't require these dongles? No. They just go back to the old pricing. The old pricing, which was really, really expensive, especially for some of the simpler adapters. And the reason I bought I bought those, uh, the USB-C to plain old USB-A, because that's going to... I don't even have a computer with ports that require that. I mean, I got my Apple TV. I suppose I could plug it into it, but it would do nothing. <laughs> um, but someday I will have a computer that does that. And they were half off, basically. It was like $19 to $9. So I bought two of them because I'm going to use them. And $9 is a <laughs> price I will pay for that little adapter. Will I pay $20 <laughs> for that adapter? Hell no. I will not pay $20. i will go to Monoprice and find whatever that, you know, or you know, Amazon Basics was mentioned. I'll, I'll find a cheaper one because it's not worth that much money. $20 for a USB-C to USB-A adapter? No. So I bought them. Because they were temporary, maybe their system is working, make, adding some urgency or whatever. But it would be much nicer if they didn't see this as a PR thing that needs to be addressed in the short term, but rather as a long term issue. Because I think they're going to be selling dongles for a long time, and that's going to be factored into the price of people buying laptops, especially the next laptop that people buy after this one. Because they'll know, oh, when you buy an Apple laptop, also reserve one hundred and X dollars for dongles, maybe more. And if the prices just go right back up it's it's not a good it's not a good situation i mean i know they kind of get away within the I, ios devices where it's like oh you can buy the ios device but you want the one with lots of memory we're just gonna add a couple hundred bucks and you want apple care and then you want the front case and the back case in your ipad like it adds up really fast but for some reason and maybe this is illogical the adapters seem like you know relatively more expensive and Maybe it's because I don't see the little chips in there and don't understand how expensive it is to get them all integrated into that. But this is a problem of Apple's own making. And when I see third party ones that can come in for less, especially for the simpler adapters, it makes me think that Apple is choosing the wrong trade-offs when it comes to making its own adapters. They're too expensive, too precious uh, and not sturdy enough.
1: It's funny you say that you went and uh, picked some of these up because on my to-do list this week, which I haven't had time for, um, is I wanted to go to the Apple store and pick up a handful of these adapters because I have the exact same thought. I probably won't have a MacBook Pro or a Mac that uses USB-C for at least a year or two, but but that time will come. So why not just pick up a few of these? And I, I intend to do the, the, that very thing sometime soon. <laughs> The
2: reason I'm laughing is that I did that very thing. Also, all three <laughs> of us did this, <laughs> so none of the three of us have one of the new MacBook Pros or have ordered one or likely are planning to buy. One. Well, you briefly you briefly ordered one. I did. You and,
1: briefly <laughs> ordered one,
2: and uh, and and I ordered it with two adapters: uh, a, a USB C to A and a C to Lightning. Those both shipped and arrived before I can't even cancel the laptop. So and I'm like, well, I could return them, but well, I'm going to use them anyway. And then the price drop was announced, and they credited me the the difference. I'm like, okay, that's even better. And so I went, I I bought, I now have two C to A adapters, the light, the C to Lightning Gigabit Ethernet, uh, the Sandisk card reader, and the Thunderbolt two adapter. Because I have I have an external um, sound device that I that we record ATP at WDC with that is Thunderbolt. And because I I I made all the exact same calculations as you guys, it's like, well, I'm going to need these eventually. And they're probably not going to get cheaper over time. Like this is probably, I, I'm going to need these soon. Probably within the next two years, I will. I will need these adapters and thing like things like the C to Lightning cable. That's just the new Lightning cable. I need tons of lightning cables. They're all over the place. Like I, so like yep. to to pick up one of these at whatever it is, nineteen dollars instead of twenty five. Like that was a small price drop on that one. But like, well,
0: I'm gonna need these, so I might as well get one or two. You should make like a Papercraft MacBook Pro and plug all your dongles <laughs> into it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you have like a pretend computer. Yeah, oh
2: but goodness. but I, I again, I I do admit though, I, I agree, John, that it is very strange. That these price drops are only temporary on the dongles because again like they're still not making them like mono price level pricing or anything like they're still they're still expensive compared to the no name ones and
0: that's fine they are, they are better they dropped them down to the same price as good quality third party peripherals like that's all yeah. they did it's not like it's a super duper bargain it's just like oh this is the price I would expect to see if I found whatever the best third party one is out there a similar price to this and like they botched the PR on this too because they did the right thing and credited everybody but the way we found that out was like oh they're dropping the prices but what about the people who already ordered them and then we had to wait for people to start getting credit that's got to be part of your message <laughs> yeah. got to be we've lowered all the prices and by the way if you bought one in the past x days we're going to credit you which they obviously did like they did the right thing like when you're going to do the right thing apple tell us about it because it's good pr like and don't leave people wondering like oh now i feel bad that i bought them hey but what happened to the poor suckers who bought them or whatever and you know we found out a couple hours or a day later that apple did the right thing but why like that was another drop of all. Yeah. But, I, I, <laughs> I do
2: Regardless, this is a good move. I wish they would make the price cuts permanent. They might still do that. Like, they haven't... They said till the end of the year, they could change their minds. Or they could cut the prices later, you know, after some period of time, again. But... Uh, and the and the, the, the funny thing about the end of the year thing is that i I was honestly tempted to, to order the l g display too the the big 5 k display because it's like well, that is only going to be available for ordering at this three hundred dollar discount for a couple of weeks, maybe because you can't even order one yet. The website currently says it'll become available in December, and the price drop is till the end of the year. So you're going to have like a few weeks in December when you can actually order this thing at a discount. <laughs> Who knows when it would actually ship and arrive. Um, and I'm thinking like, well, will there ever be a time? Like if they make a new Mac Pro next year, I'm going to want one of those displays if it's still you know a standalone Mac Pro. But But I'm not confident enough that it will be a standalone Mac Pro that will exist that will be out next year to actually order one of these things like six months ahead of time.
0: You just hook that up to your PaperGraph MacBook Pro and you'll have a complete setup of <laughs> oh except for the computer part. You'll have the dongles, you'll have the screen. It'll be beautiful. You Wonder. can use your iPad as the pretend touch bar. Yeah, right. It'll <laughs> oh have the whole computer except the screen, the keyboard, and the trackpad, and the CPU, and the GPU. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's going
2: to be a rough transition. Once we get to the other side, you know, we're in these like heavy transitional eras. You know, first we went Retina and SSD, right, and we still have not finished those transitions. <laughs> we're close, but we still have not completed those two large transitions completely. You can still go out and buy not even just one, but many Mac models that either don't have Retina, don't have SSDs by default, or even both, which is embarrassing uh but those transitions are almost done once you're past it once you have a retina computer with an with all ssd storage not fusion drive all ssd storage it is a thing of beauty it is amazing it's such a good computer from that point forward and usb-c is going to be the same thing for ports it's like we have this kind of cumbersome annoying transition that's going to break a lot of things like old monitors that you won't be able to use anymore or new like it's putting up this big barrier changing all the ports Requiring this dongle sale and everything else. Uh but once we get to that promised land of all USB C ports and all or mostly USB C peripherals, it's going to be really nice. Like, you know, and the benefits of the new MacBook Pro, like being able to charge it on both sides, like that's cool. Like that that's a useful thing. It's going to be a really nice world when we get there, but the transition is going to be uncomfortable, just like all these other ones have been.
0: Oh, well, you still have our new thing in our future world will be uh confusion about the USB-C to lightning cable which end is which because they are they're different sizes and you can tell if you look at them but if you're not paying attention and you just pick the skinny little cable up with the two skinny little ends we don't have the problem of like USB-A where you keep flipping it over three times to get it in right because they're both <laughs> bi-directional but you might find yourself sticking the lightning plug into the side of your macbook pro maybe just once or twice before you realize what's going on
2: we're sponsored this week by Hover and the upcoming .blog TLD. Go to hover.com/name my blog to learn more and you can use code donglesale this week for 10% off any new domain purchases. With online publishing platforms like WordPress, Tumblr and Medium, there's never been a better time to have a blog. Well, actually, the better time to have a blog is going to be Monday, November 21st. That's in a couple of weeks. At this time, Monday, November 21st, .dot .blog domain names will become available for registration at Hover. And because .dot .blog is a new top-level domain name, you've got a really good chance of finding your first choice of a unique, relevant, and memorable name for your blog. To be first in line, go to hover.com slash name my blog. That's hover.com slash name my blog to be notified the moment that .dot .blog domains become available for registration. And of course, all .blog domains will come with the great things you'd expect from Hover, like free who is privacy, no heavy-handed upselling, and their signature, no wait, no hold, no transfer phone support if you ever need it. Again, go to hover.com name my blog for the new .blog domain extension. And of course, Hover is there for all of your domain name needs, and you can use code dongle sale for 10% off. That's dongle sale for 10% off. Hover, domain names for your ideas.
1: We had talked, I think, briefly uh, last week, and then we ended up shelving it so we could discuss this week about the thought of ARM processors on the Mac. And I think I might have brought this up because I was saying that, you know, if you look at a lot of the, the angst that's been floating around the community with regard to the MacBook Pro and the Mac Pro, there is a way that you can blame a lot of these troubles on Intel. Not to say that Apple's blameless by any stretch of the imagination, but you can paint a picture in which Intel holds a lot of the blame. And it's in Apple's, it's it's Apple's modus operandi to control everything it can. And so it controls the chips on the iOS lines why wouldn't it make sense for them to try to control the chip on the MacBook Pro or really just the Mac lines and so that makes you think well why wouldn't they use an arm chip like they have in the iOS lines and throw that on it's presumably uh going to be very low power and you know the the modern iOS devices are nearly as fast as modern Macs and so it seems on paper to make sense. Why wouldn't they give it a shot? I mean the transition would stink, but we've already done this once with the transition from PowerPC to Intel and fat binaries and blah blah blah. Twice. Why not try again? Uh, twice, right? So why not try again?
2: <laughs> we, need, we need we need like an old Mac sound effect whenever john schools us on
0: like something that came came across the mac before 2004 oh, power pc transition was awesome graphing calculator was a miracle um, we could use you know. uh,
1: we could use a startup chime since it's not a thing anymore
0: there you go so we discussed this arm and the mac thing so many times and we're probably going to say all the same things here but the reason i think it was worth bringing up again the reason we delayed it to this show is because like things change surprisingly quickly in the worlds of arm cpus and just like to briefly summarize all the things that we've said in the past x86 is important for Windows compatibility. How important is that still? But it is a thing. Um, why would Apple spend money producing ARM chips for the Mac? Because the Mac doesn't sell enough volume to be worth creating your own chips, whereas the iOS chips do. And that leads to okay, well, all you got to do is wait until you can do the investment to design your own fancy ARM chip that you use in your iOS devices. And basically use that same chip or the same architecture, maybe with more cores and more fancy stuff. But basically, like, the work you did for your iOS devices transfers directly to the Mac. And then you solve the investment problem because you're like, oh, well, I'm doing this work anyway for the next iPhone. Um, it doesn't cost that much more to make a, a bigger, more parallel version of it and throw it in uh, to a Mac type thing. It solves the problem of relying on Intel like Casey was getting to. because It's been a, a bad run lately with delays and everything like that. Apple's the master of its own destiny. Uh, and you just have the x86 compatibility stuff to deal with and the reason i think it's worth revisiting again is because just one year since last time we probably discussed it the chip that's in the latest iphones is i think faster than some macs and it's clocked lower in, in most cases and like i think we're kind of at that not quite at the point but getting close to the point where the work they do for the iphone cpu is directly transferable to the mac in terms of you know what kind of performance could you get out of it and you know with you know making a bigger version clocking it higher maybe putting in a couple more cores i think we're there for the low end max and if they don't even make any high end max anymore maybe it doesn't matter so it you know as this equation keeps changing and as we depressingly look at the Geekbench scores for the latest phone and compare them to whatever mac we're sitting in front of and go what what is going on here you know the world is upside down uh the the balance of all those factors that i discussed at apple have to be changing um it really depends on the, the weight you give to them to decide is this the go or no go moment and again we all just assume that apple has you know has either been working on or understand the challenges of converting macos to arm if it hasn't done so already um but like and especially with the integration of the arm chip for the touch id the viability and desirability of an arm-based mac to both apple and consumers only increases over time and i feel like this has to come to head eventually unless intel gets back in gear and there's another two process levels ahead of everybody else um and i guess the wild card is that that 3d x point stuff which i don't know if it's like proprietary in any way or tied to intel in any specific way but that could there are many ways that it, that intel could ensure that it keeps apple's business. But especially with this recent delay and the new MacBooks and looking at the scores for the new iPhones, I in my mind anyway, things are shifting much more towards the possibility of ARM Macs in the future than I would have thought of even just a year ago.
1: I completely agree with you. And you know, it's worth noting, as I have in the past, that to switch to ARM would incur some pretty significant costs for a lot of Developers, which admittedly are very, very, very small part of the market, but you know, doing virtualization on an Intel box for Windows, which is really now only running on Intel again, that's easier than trying to do some sort of you know cross compilation from ARM to x86. I'm sorry, from x86 to ARM. So, if old me, you know, the the when the me that was still writing code in windows which actually happened earlier today but we'll leave that aside the one the old me that was doing it professionally 40 plus hours a week i would probably have to go back to a pc because presumably it would be just awful to have to cross compile or really uh, what's the term i'm looking for it's not cross compile emulate yeah really emulate is what i'm looking for to emulate x86 on top of arm I mean, maybe it would be quick, but I would assume that it would not. And, you know, as we've spoken about in the past, I remember even as a not Mac person, I remember hearing about the, you know, PC on a daughter board that some people plugged into their Mac so they could run Windows on them. Um and so there, there are definitely costs to this. There's costs in software, pain. You know, you would have to have some sort of emulation layer for x86 or the you know, what was the what was the thing they did for PowerPC on top of Intel? What was the name of that? Rosetta. Layer? Rosetta. Thank you.
0: Oh, I've got, I've got just a solution for you, Casey. Yeah, it's a dongle, and inside it is a Raspberry Pi. <laughs> <bottom. laughs> <laughs> that what, I mean, you just mentioned basically a PCI card. It was, I think, it was a Nubus card. That, yeah, but yeah, whatever. yeah you're right. Like you could. Fairly easily put a reasonably powerful x86 computer inside a dongle connected to a Thunderbolt 3 port, and the only people who'd have to have that dongle are the people who need to do that. And there's, I mean, it's not just that; it's like also people who want to, you know, use people who want to run software on there. If you just want to run like, I I ran into this at work recently, which is depressing. Docker does not run on my Mac at work because it's too old, because it doesn't have the hypervisor stuff or whatever. But anyway. Docker is not going to run if you Docker for deploying on on x86 based servers is not going to run on ARM Mac, and so I would need to get the dongle too.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I didn't think of it that way. Uh, Also, uh, doing a quick search, it looks like the first time that we spoke about this that I could quickly find was episode 35, almost exactly three years ago on October 18 of 2013, where we discussed, uh, where is it, how Touch ID could be used in Macs (laughs) and whether our MacBooks would be worth the transition costs.
0: So does that make this follow up? (laughs) <laughs> uh, we, we, we crossed over into topics believe it or not when we talked about the peripheral price cuts everyone in the chat room wants to tell us all that thunderbolt is an intel thing like all things are solvable with money though i truly believe this like it's, it's like we <laughs> talked about last week apple could make x86 chips and get off the intel bandwagon and uh you know there's there's lots of possibilities here and in, in, that involving money changing hands and licensing deals and so on and so forth and another thing that factors into this i forgot to mention in the, in the little summary is that for a long time intel has had this massive advantage that they were on the the new process size before everybody else sometimes like a year or more before everybody else so everything they made had just like a built-in advantage uh, of be, of you being lower power and smaller you know and like they they were first at whatever the, the the process size is and lately i don't i've been seeing lots of stories and collecting them in the show notes and then eventually like deleting them or aging them off lots of stuff about like well Intel's not going to be first to 10 nanometers or Intel already is in first 10 nanometers. Like, no, those are just promises. Intel will still be first. And Intel is the only one who's going to be able to proceed beyond that because they've done the deep R and D. And like for back in that show 36 or whatever, one of the topics we probably talked about is like, does, does Intel just want to be a fab for everybody else? Because they have the best process. Wouldn't it be great if Apple could have Intel fab all of its, you know, a series chips on their fancy new process. And, you know, Intel is making, uh some of the chips and phones but not the the big one not the a series chip they're just making what like a radio chip that is not as good as the uh, the qualcomm one yet mm, but anyway yep. that's the um, one i have
2: that doesn't work yeah Same.
0: Uh, well i don't know if that's why you're you're having your drop calls but, but either way like it used to be that intel was unquestionably the best place to fab your stuff it's because intel was like we're not going to just fab your stuff we want to sell you chips that we make because we make way more money off those we're not going to just going to be a stupid fab that's not what we are we're not just a fab we're, we're intel we make chips um and it I'm not going to say that Intel is losing its lead in fab tech, but it seems less clear-cut to me as a fairly casual observer of the uh silicon chip industry that Intel's lead on process is no longer as big as it used to be. And I forget what what are the A10 being made at? Is it is, are they 14 nanometer? I forget what size they are, but i keep reading stories about you know taiwan semiconductor will be at 10 nanometer before intel is and all stuff 16 like that nanometer is it 16 yeah maybe they still have a lead, but it just doesn't seem as big to me as it used to be and also intel seems to be more open now to fabbing things for other people there was some other story i had in the show notes about that a while back so add that to yet another set of variables that are slowly shifting more towards being in favor of Arm max i don't think any of this stuff is at a tipping point yet but when we revisit this topic in a year it may be a slam dunk yeah i mean at this point i would say that the the processor
2: itself is probably no longer the reason why they're not doing it it's everything around the processor you know it's all the like you know, the memory controllers and the thunderbolt if they want you know they have to move move away from thunderbolt in all, in all likelihood which by the way like yeah, I mean, Apple did just make a pretty big bet on Thunderbolt with the USB C transition. Like that, that's a big bet. But Apple changes their mind when they need to. Like they, they can totally say, you know what, Thunderbolt was
0: great last year. This year, uh, we can't do it anymore. Too bad. Buy new dongles. Well, they, they don't have to change their mind. Like I said, they, this like these are all solvable problems with money. Like I'm sure Intel uh, could come to some agreement <laughs> with Apple involving exchanges of money that would allow someone somewhere to build. An ARM chip with Thunder, like I don't think there's anything specifically X80, x86 specific about it. Even if it's like byte crap, like these are solvable problems technically and monetarily. It could be another barrier, and that's another variable like on the against side. And maybe it's a big barrier because Intel is like, no, we're never going to license it, and you know, tough luck. Like I, we don't know, we don't know the constants that uh, apply to all these different uh, factors. But I don't, I don't say it, it rules it out.
2: And, and I wouldn't say that Intel is incredibly flexible on things like that. Um, but and the other thing, too, is like it, it would be possible, although I don't think it would last very, I think I think it would be a transitional thing, but it would be possible to only make some models with ARM chips, like only the MacBook one or only the MacBook one and escape you know and so like you keep like the pro models on intel so that if you they could so they could just say you know what if you need to virtualize windows or whatever you could use the pro model and if you need thunderbolt use the pro model and if you if you're if you are willing to get the small slightest thing that doesn't have all the pro features then you can have these two models that are arm based maybe the mac mini becomes arm based as well who knows you know like there's they have lots of options there if they wanted to go that route i i don't know if again i don't know if they will i don't know if it makes sense you know, for them to put so much effort into this transition if they're not really hurting badly from Intel. But I think there have been times over the last couple of years where they have been really hurting badly because of Intel. And I, you know, especially, I mean, if they care about the Mac Pro more, it would be even more pressing there because the Mac Pro it has been historically even more limited by Intel, even even before Apple started skipping generations. You're right, money does solve a lot of things. They could make a deal, but Intel really is pretty inflexible on certain things these days and it doesn't seem like apple is a large enough or profitable enough intel customer for apple to be able to dictate terms to them
0: anymore if they ever were apple's big bargaining chip though is that uh they could say hey intel i know you don't want to be a fab but if you were gonna fab something the a series chip that's in our ios devices it's pretty good volume there
1: (laughs) fair point Uh, also to go back a half step marco you had said you know you could make just the you know, MacBook One have the new ARM chip just for the sake of discussion. And I agree with you, but wouldn't we run into the same sort of problem with this USB C transition where if if the MacBook One is running ARM but nothing else is, what is incentivizing the software developers to rebuild their apps for the ARM platform and make FAT binaries and blah 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 if only one presumably low volume mac is on arm and everything else is still on intel. Now, the
0: mac app store rules if only mac users, <laughs> mac developers actually sold things through the mac app well, the, store right. anymore. But the, exactly. I mean I'm sure they would do that. That would be their thing. They would they would mandate it in the mac app store and honestly developers would do it if it's as easily as just changing some settings and filling some stuff around like at this point most conscientious mac developers should not have architecture specific code. And like, they still have WDC sessions to say how to tell if you're doing something that relies on, you know, word size or byte order. And especially with Swift and stuff with this stuff being abstracted away and not having to worry about C ints and shorts and whatever the hell those are. Right. You know, on different architectures and all that crap. I think it wouldn't be that bad. And developers would do it because if you want to sell to those people, you'll do it. Right. Like maybe the people making pro apps wouldn't because they don't want to sell to the MacBook escape people. But it is surmountable. And I think there are incentives for people to get on board. As time goes on,
2: it becomes less and less difficult to make relatively portable code. Like, you know, at, we've, we have moved up so many layers of abstraction in so much of our code. We do so little custom assembly or by order assumptions or, or you know, binary operations at that level at all anymore that uh, it it's less and less work now. And, you know, if I, I, think, I think developers are going to do more work to support the touch bar than they would need to do to make an ARM version of almost any app.
0: Except for game developers, they'd be screwed.
1: What gets delivered to the App Store? Because I I haven't looked at this in a while, but doesn't Swift compile to its own intermediate language, then gets compiled to like an LLVM intermediate language? Is that what gets pushed to the App Store, and then that's what BitCode is all about?
0: I I think you're mixing BitCode BitCode up with the SIL stuff, which is a whole different thing. I think you're right. I I forget what the the BitCode policy is. Do you remember, Marco? Uh, BitCode is
2: required on the watch, I believe. I think it's optional for iPhones still. And I don't I don't know if the Mac App Store may it rest in peace uh, even supports it. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, but bitcode a, a number of people have have looked at it and basically determined that bitcode is probably not a very good way to just automatically generate like a whole arm thing cuz bitcode I think is is too low level. It's it's beneath the compiled level and so basically like assumptions about byte order and stuff would would not translate automatically
1: gotcha okay but you see where i'm driving at though i wasn't sure if this could solve that problem for you
2: i'm pretty sure bitcode is not the answer to like an automatic arm build of everything in the store
0: it doesn't yeah what was it was it mostly I, for, I i used to know this about bitcode but not running these always <laughs> 10 reviews for a long time lets you forget all these things i don't remember the details but like apple's motivation for doing it was it so they have more flexibility with like fiddling with instructions from one generation to the next of like the s1 chip or the s2 and so on and so forth that because you're not delivering machine code that they just run as is they have some flexibility if they change an instruction or remove an instruction and replace it with another one that's slightly different that they can do the final final machine code generation uh business anyway uh developers were all antsy about it and who knows how long it will be a thing but on the watch that's the one i was thinking on the watch like it is a thing it has been from day one right everything for the watch is delivered as bitcode which gives apple more flexibility with hardware design than they would have if everyone was shipping just binaries that are run as is
1: yeah i thought that the the pitched reason for bitcode was that this way, as a user, you would only download the version of the binary that's built for your platform rather than having to get, To kind of building on what you were saying, rather than having to get the A6 version, the A7 version, the A8 version, or what have you, you would just have the version of the app built against the processor that you have, Yeah, and thus it would be a smaller download.
0: That's true, too. Although, I like with... With binary, you know, in most cases, as most of Marco's apps prove because he doesn't like to include graphics because he uses paint code for everything. The size of your application is not determined by the size of your code these days. Like your icons are bigger than your than a lot of your code, right?
2: I will say that a lot of apps involve a large quantity of advertising and tracking SDKs. And those can actually add a non-trivial amount of binary size. I mean, and a lot of their size is assets as well. But yeah, a lot of those can get pretty sizable and make the binary pretty ridiculous.
0: Yeah, the Swift standard library, which I think still has to ship with the applications because they haven't worked out the ABI compatibility yet, that's true. is another another big thing that's in there. But for you know, for applications of appreciable size, when you're thinking of things like you know a one gigabyte game, that's not code. That's all. That's all assets.
2: We are sponsored tonight by Betterment. Investing made better. Go to betterment.com slash ATP to learn more. Betterment has changed the industry by making investing easier and making it available at a lower cost to people like you. Betterment manages your investments with the same strategies that financial advisors use with clients who have millions of dollars. Betterment has been all over the press, uh, outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and TechCrunch. They are the largest independent automated investing service out there, managing more than $5.5 billion for over 180,000 customers as of this September. The financial services industry has embraced technology and innovation through the creation of automated investing. This means that you get to keep more of your money with fees that are a fraction of what you could pay for traditional financial services. And whenever there's excess cash, like from dividends, every dollar is automatically reinvested, so it's all put back to work for you, and your portfolio is automatically rebalanced as necessary. Investing involves risk. Right now, you can get up to six months of no fees. To learn more, visit Betterment.com slash ATP. That's Betterment.com slash ATP. Betterment,
1: investing made better. There's been a couple of calls for a terrifying strategy from the past to come back. John, should there be Mac clones again?
0: This is a was mentioned last show as a measure of exactly how deep the dissatisfaction in some quarters was about the the, the new macbook pros they're saying look if you're not going to make the pro mac that i want to make how about letting other people make mac hardware that way apple you don't have to worry about it anymore someone else will address my needs and everyone will be happy isn't that great mac cloning it was done. we did it once before we can do it again just license the mac operating system and i will gladly buy from some other company that actually cares about my needs and will make me the big honking computer that i want um and we've been down this road before uh in the past for most of apple's history with the mac people have been clamoring for them to clone it because that was ibm's half accidental strategy I- ibm and intel and windows like that whole big mess the way it ended up through no particular grand plan of anybody except perhaps microsoft was that you could buy a pc from companies other than ibm they were ibm compatible and they all would suit your needs they could all run ms dos and microsoft windows eventually and all that other stuff and so the hardware vendors would compete with each other and have their own little race to the bottom until they all went out of business except for dell lenovo and anyway blah blah, blah. um everyone was saying during the gogo uh, late 80s early 90s hey, Apple, IBM, Microsoft, whoever are eating your lunch because they let anybody make hardware and they have competition and capitalism and yay, 80s. Um, (laughs) You should license your operating system. And Apple said, no, we're not going to license our operating system. And every time Apple did something that someone didn't like, it would say, see, if you just license your operating system, you'd be doing much better. Uh, In the end, eventually, I think Apple... Now making so much more money than the other PC makers has come out the other side and saying, I guess our strategy was pretty good. But in the middle there, a couple of Apple CEOs were convinced that this is a good idea. I think Spindler started it. Maybe I forget. I'm blaming the wrong uh, CEO for uh, starting Mac cloning. They said when Apple was getting increasingly desperate, they still didn't have a new operating system and Windows 95, 98 and so on and so forth were taking over the world. And they hadn't yet bought next. One of the panic plans they made was... All right, people keep saying license the Mac operating system. Uh, uh, let's do that. And they did that with predictable results because Apple was not licensing from a position of power. It allowed a bunch of third parties to make Mac clones, very often based on Mac or Apple-derived ha- reference hardware design. So these clone companies sometimes didn't even have to do the hard work to build their own hardware. They could just sort of make hardware that was like Apple's but a little bit better and do a little bit of work in addition to that. Uh, it didn't help Apple make more money. The license fees did not make up for the loss in hardware sales. When Steve Jobs came back, it was, yeah, I think it was Steve Jobs came back. Uh, he canned it. it Many been canned before then. It should have been canned before then. Uh, and the brief Mac clone experiment ended. And for most people looking backwards on it, they're going to be like, oh, Mac clone, that was such a big mistake. It didn't actually help Apple, actually hurt Apple. Uh, and it was kind of cruel to do Mac clones and then uh, a year or two later say oh just kidding no more mac clones and so all those companies sprung up around making mac clones had a brief moment in the sun and then had to disappear because their entire business was gone motorola even made them for crying out loud motorola made mac clones um <laughs> and so i would imagine for you people who didn't live through it you silly millennials it just seems like a cautionary <laughs> to. but to me who lived through it I do have some fond memories and I think most Mac users who lived through the, the clone era do have some fond memories of it for the, just the reasons that we just talked about like with you know, the, the MacBook Pro and dissatisfaction. There was a time when if Apple didn't make a Mac that was like you wanted to buy it, like it didn't, didn't have the right balance of features and price and so on and so forth, there was a chance there would be another company that would. And these companies, the Mac clone makers were no dummies, they tried to fill markets market niches that apple didn't want to and so they would clock their cpus a little bit higher they would make boring looking tower boxes that were nevertheless much more expandable than apple's designs they would sell computers for less money than apple they would do all sorts of things that apple wasn't going to do or just giving you different combinations of size and hard drive space and video capabilities in you know it was actually a fairly exciting time to be a mac user and i know a lot of people actually bought those clones and were they as nice as Apple's computers? No, and the, the companies weren't around for very long because Apple stopped cloning. But for a brief moment, there we were in that that world where if you were an enthusiast who liked to run um, the Mac operating system, you had more choices, and it was it was kind of fun. Now, this doesn't mean we should do it again. Now, it's a silly overreaction to a new product that some people were mildly dissatisfied with. But like, I guess maybe just. My main point in this is to say that Mac clones weren't actually all bad, and if Apple ever loses total interest in either the Mac entirely or the high end of the Mac market, some kind of limited licensing plan could work like just like the lg monitor is currently the only one you can buy that works with a macbook pro and i assume there will be other ones but imagine if like one company was blessed as the company that makes the pro mac hardware and it was blessed by apple and it was the only it was it was no it's not like you had 50 more choices but merely you had two choices where before you would have zero uh or before you would just have one that's a thing i think pro users would find reasonably acceptable and apple might find advantageous Why don't we make some money off this market and let someone else do the heavy lifting without increasing our support burden too much? Obviously, this is totally outside the realm, philosophically speaking, of I think anything that Apple would ever consider. But from a consumer perspective,
1: it seems viable to me. I don't see the Apple of today doing it, but everything you just said does make sense.
0: Yeah, who's that? Craig Hockenberry had an article about it. Apple should pull Lenovo and, you know, th- this exact thing. Just have, have one company do its hardware stuff if Apple's not interested anymore. I think mostly it's just a, a, an overreaction. It's like, oh, you're not going to make the hardware I want? Why don't you let somebody else do it? Like, totally an overreaction. But they're kind of like the ARM on the Mac. Like, there's something to it. Uh, and it's not the time to do it now. But we'll check back in five years and see how things have changed. So, for reference, I have
2: configured a Mac Pro-like workstation at Dell.com.
1: I'm so sorry.
2: If you've <laughs> if you've tried to configure anything complicated at Dell.com recently, wow, my goodness. So I have a few errors in my configuration that need to be fixed according to this this popover dialogue. Now, one of those is the PCIe solid-state drive boot drive requires the hard drive to be the PCIe boot drive. Please update as needed. Of course, it can't update for me. The PCIe solid-state drive is not compatible with the dual video card. Please update the internal hard drive configuration. Requires a PCIe boot drive and a PCIe solid-state drive. Boot drive, please update as needed. Please be sure to update the selection for boot drive, hard drive, and also the selection of boot option from the PCIe solid-state drives. That being said, if I could somehow make this configuration work, um, I have configured what I think would be a modern version of the high-end Mac Pro, the 12-core Mac Pro. Now, the current 12-core Mac Pro, which is three years old and slow, 64-gig one terabyte pci express ssd uh base video card which is the d500 ish uh that is eighty eight hundred dollars <laughs> for this <laughs> uh, and that and d500
0: by the way i think is now less powerful than the gpu in the ipad pro or maybe it's close
2: <laughs> probably yeah so the similar dell with a brand new broadwell e uh, xeon oh crap i'm sorry i had the eight core selected let me change, the <laughs> switch the Mac Pro to 8-core. All right, Mac Pro is $7,300 in the 8-core config. 7300 for the Mac Pro, 5400 for the for the Dell with the brand new parts that are faster. Um, so it, 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 there is a substantial price gain here. <laughs> for for uh, you know if if you wanted to do PC hardware that was similar
0: uh, and in many ways better, but, but don't don't let Dell do it, Dell do it. I would like Lenovo or even HP or anybody else would be better.
2: No, the only reason I went to Dell on this was that I, I checked earlier in the week and HP does not seem to offer the Broadwell E ons yet. They're all the V threes and yeah. Broadwell's V four. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But yeah, it, for the purpose of of building hack, Hackintoshes or workstations or anything else. Man, if Apple licensed the OS to clone makers, even if they charged like three hundred dollars for it, like some you know large price for the OS, uh, it would still be pretty price competitive to go with a clone maker. Um, but that's probably the reason they're not going to do it. Now that being said, it, you can look at what they're doing. As you know, as I mentioned earlier, it is very noticeable that they are outsourcing some of their dongles to Belkin, that they are outsourcing their new monitor to LG. I, I think it's very clear that. Apple is trying to get themselves out of businesses. Like they're they're exiting businesses. They're exiting the display business. They're outsourcing that. They're exiting some of these dongles, outsourcing that. Like and like the Belkin Ethernet adapter box, it looks like an Apple product. It looks like an Apple product box. It looks like the product itself. Like this is clearly like Apple is trying to get themselves out of these non-core, maybe unprofitable businesses. It wouldn't surprise me if they actually did do some kind of weird partnership with IBM or something to to or you know HP or whatever to offer something like this. I mean, it seemed it seems crazy to tell Mac people that Apple would ever do some kind of clone program again, but if you look at what they're actually doing today, that isn't totally out of the question. Now, I still think it's incredibly unlikely. I, I do. I, I would not count on it because I would I would assume that if Apple wanted a computer like this to exist, they would just make it themselves. But it, there, there is now precedent in, in what they're doing in their lineup to effectively outsource less interesting parts of their business to other companies to make it their problem whenever something needs service or to manage the margins or whatever else
0: that's the most interesting part of their business to some people though like the high-end hardware it's kind of like getting back to the halo car thing like that they should be making that in-house because as a even it's just as a motivational tool for their for their internal tech team and for their customers but i think it would have to be it couldn't just be like a licensing arrangement because it's not just that apple wants to make like 300 bucks in each one they sell uh there's a support burden to every new model that's out there that they have to support with the os and everything so i think it would have to be more of a partial ownership profit sharing type thing which would probably mean that these machines would not be like the mac clones they wouldn't be less expensive for the same hardware like they would be just as expensive as if apple made it the only difference would be like you said that, that apple outsources some portion of it and with a stuff like the belkin connector and like i said the early mac clones you wonder how much of that is belkin's work and how much of it is apple's a lot of the original Mac. Uh, mac clones were apple reference designs modified and a lot of companies do that they give you like a reference board and then you can tweak it and add your thing but like for for the belkin and the lg display how much involvement did apple have in the creation of those peripherals was it purely here you go company you are now allowed to make this here are the specs figure it out or did apple cooperate with them very closely surely for the software integration for the lg screen they had to do something was there any cooperation at the hardware level like you don't really know what goes on in these relationships but as I said before, like monetary deals could be worked out. And I would hope the Apple today bargaining from a position of strength and not from a position of Michael Spindler w- would make the arrangement so that it is very profitable to Apple and that the company that they're partnering with to just feel itself lucky to even be allowed to work with Apple because Apple is so awesome and that Apple would come out ahead on it financially while removing whatever burdens they feel are put on them. I think, by the way, for the high end is totally a wrong move because Apple should totally be doing the high end in house because you know we've discussed this i think we mostly discussed it in slack but I'm, all i'm just doing is reiterating my halo car thing in seven different ways to get people to understand how this works and having them complain to me uh, even casey was like i don't buy my car because there's a high-end car from the same maker i don't know i don't want to have the discussion again but we'll, we'll, we'll go <laughs> that's along, what i sound like yeah in slack that's you don't you don't know you had that voice plugin put on wow yeah that's, Yikes. that's unfortunate
2: <laughs> wow all right i think that's it for this week Uh, thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week Betterment, Eero, and Hover and we will see you next week now the show is over they didn't even mean to begin cause it was
1: accidental Accidental. oh it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him cause
2: it
0: was accidental. accidental oh it was accidental accidental and you can find the show notes at ATP. And if you're into Twitter,
2: you can follow them at
0: C-A-S-E-Y-L
2: I-S-S, So that's
1: Casey M-A-R-C-O, A-R-M, D-N-T-Marco it's accidental,
2: accidental.
0: so long. sorry for the people waiting for server studio and switch i think we have exact uh, actually exhausted all of the uh follow-up and tangential topics related to the macbook pro announcement now and, and i'm not going to take all the blame for this because people keep sending us feedback about it because so it's not just us that's like well you got to get off this macbook pro issue they peep, the listeners are still talking to us about it but i think we're through it all so next week for sure unless something big happens microsoft Service studio nintendo switch when are they going to get to the fireworks factory?
1: That's a Simpsons thing, isn't it? You got it. Mm. Good job. The only reason I got it is because you've used that on us like seven times. and it's been um, Way more me. than seven. Way more. <laughs> All right, so what else is going on other than the obvious that we'd uh, really rather not discuss?
2: I will say, you know, thank you, audience and you guys. This has been nice to, you know, get my mind off of that stuff.
1: Yeah, I agree uh grand tour is coming back not not this coming saturday uh, friday but a week from this coming friday Wait, that's coming exciting. back has it already uh, aired? Or, the yeah first sorry no 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 i that was a poor choice of words it's uh it's starting when i i say coming back because i think of it as top gear again <laughs> but uh but anyway that's that's a week from friday so that's super exciting
0: yeah you need to remind me of that or i am gonna miss it is that is it
1: amazon only right correct it's Amazon. Uh, I don't know what, like what time of day it's happening, but it is the 18th of November. They're streaming um, one episode per week for six weeks, and I believe there's going to be two seasons per uh, calendar year. So presumably we'll have a spring and a fall season, since we're getting kind of a fall season now. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. It should be good.
0: Speaking of TV... Although I don't want to get onto uh, depressing politics topics, but one of the one of the analogies and the and the jokes and the snarks that has been made in, uh, involving this election has been about the show Black Mirror, which is a
1: show yeah. made in the
0: UK. I don't want to say it's a BBC show because then you get yelled at because it's not. There's other places to make anyway. Whatever. It's a show made in England, and it's like, uh, you guys remember Amazing Stories? Maybe you're too young for that. Nope, we're too young. But I've seen I've seen some of Black Mirror
2: episodes, and I think given what just happened, it's going to be a long time before I'm in the mood to watch any more of them.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, like, uh, Amazing Stories is like... Uh, the Twilight Zone is the older reference. Like, every week there's a new episode, and it's a sci- usually sci-fi-related premise, and there's no carryover characters. There's no, you know, through-line stories, It's just like, here's a little sci... It's like sci-fi short stories for TV. Right? And Twilight Zone had a particular bent to it, and so did Amazing Stories, which is a Spielberg-esque thing. Black Mirror's bent is sci fi ash independent stories that are usually really depressing like it's black mirror like it's right in the title right um and so like marco said maybe you're not in the mood to watch them right now and black mirror me personally i find it a little bit silly and overblown because i've seen all these same ideas and stories before and they take them to the nth degree and it just gets a little bit ridiculous but sometimes there's fun ones whatever i'm not as big a fan as other people are but on the specific topic this current season of black mirror season three that is they come out all at once not like the uh the grand tour but they're not you know they make them ahead of time um and it's a scripted show more scripted than <laughs> anyway whatever um there is one episode of this season of black mirror this third season of black mirror which is like all the previous seasons just a grim terrible slog of overblown sci-fi but there's one episode that i think actually i watched it and i felt good after watching it i'm not gonna say it's happy And you can judge for yourself whether it is, like, you know, the feel-good story of the century. But I think it would be safe for people to watch, even if you're feeling bad. And that episode is San Junipero, which I was my favorite episode of Black Mirror ever, which probably means that I just don't like Black Mirror because it is the least Black Mirror of any Black Mirror episode. But I would encourage you, if you're looking for a sci-fi short story on TV and don't want to be super depressed, Black Mirror Season 3 san junipero which is episode wait seven seconds for the chat room to look it up for me episode number four episode number four casey beat them to it because he's listening to me in real time cheating <laughs> and there's the <laughs> chat room
1: and so uh, what, what was the summary of this episode no like no, tell you no without, about it. you're not no. supposed to
0: know anything about black mirror episodes you just start watching them so nothing you don't want to tell us anything no you can't know okay. it okay. ruins it no no spoilers yeah. for oh, black mirror f-
1: my goodness I' did, my, my mistake so uh, I forget who it was shoot it was one of the New York city-based developers and I'm drawing a blank which one it was um, it might have been Brian Iirace had uh, guilted me into watching um, one of the episodes of Black Mirror and the one that I watched this was a couple of years ago now was about the British Prime Minister being mm, black
0: episode one that's the fir- first episode
1: uh, yeah that's I had no desire to ever but- go back. That None. sets
0: a tone. That sets a tone for the show that is the appropriate tone for the show, basically. Yeah, see, that, except for uh, and apparel.
1: I'm not saying it's a bad show. I'm just saying yeah, I watched that and I was like, this is not for me. Yeah. No, thank Did
0: you. Did you watch all of season three yet, Marco? Or no?
2: No, I've, I've, I don't think I'm even, I'm even all the way through season two. I think we watched all oh, yeah. of season one at least.
0: Well, it's a good thing like you can skip to any episode at any time because there yeah. is no through line, so yeah, yeah. you can just pick one out. But I get some of the season three episodes are just so grim. Like it just, it's, it's almost a parody of itself at this point. Um, but Sandra DePerrault, thumbs up. Yeah, no, it's like
2: it's it's the kind of show like it's so it's such a downer and it's so dark that you you if you have anything bad or stressful going on in your life, it's not a good show to watch. And so I've had not a ton of opportunities where I really wanted to watch shows like that recently, and that's not going to change in
0: <laughs> the next few weeks. That's for sure. Like I said try try this episode. It is not. Yeah, you know, I, I think you will watch it and not curse my name after you watch it i think it will make you feel better a high bar okay that's right you will feel (laughs) you will improve your mood right
2: okay i I will give i will
0: Uh, maybe give a part of the reason part of the reason it improves your mood is like the context was like wait this is a black mirror episode it should be terrible and grim and it's not i feel awesome about it it's like you expect the worst and then you get this thing that is like it like it like redeems the rest of black mirror briefly who would have thought
2: that this episode would end with a recommendation of an uplifting Black Mirror episode?
0: Yeah, I, I was as surprised as anyone. I got to the end. I, I even went to the internet to say, maybe it's not actually uplifting, and I'm reading it wrong. And so you go on the internet, people are like, no, actually, it's super dark. Here's the ending. But the creators of the show were like, no, it's actually uplifting. Just accept it.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, No. I mean, I I wouldn't be opposed to watching an uplifting one, but... Uh, the after having watched the very first episode, like I said, I decided it was not for me. Not to say it's not for you or anyone else. It just, it wasn't for me. I have enough to be depressed about, well, depressed, poor choice of words. I have enough to be sad about. I don't need to be sad while I'm watching television as well.
2: Yeah. That's why <laughs> Tiff and I, for our current like casual series, we just restarted the office tonight. So it's like, this, we just need something that's not like, even parks and rec is too political. I was <laughs> like, Oh God, I can't even do that yet just need something light that is just not gonna add to anything bad
0: you used to watch some miyazaki movies which you've probably never seen any of because you've never seen anything that's correct yep you if you know still well. let show adam, you should be showing adam totoro by this point this i feel like you're neglecting your your duties as a parent yeah totoro that is just you'll find it just find <laughs> it and show it to adam and the whole family can watch it together and you'll be happy
1: yeah, I downloaded uh, Millennium, whatever, whatever, when it was um, when it was that's available. That's not on a Miyazaki YouTube. movie, but close. What a, it's all it's all the same, John. It's all the same. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, Can we just start so, calling them Syracuse movies? Yeah, that's fine. That, that works for me. So I downloaded that Syracuse movie, the Millennium, whatever, Millennial, whatever, Actress? Uh, Millennium, Millennium actress, which is probably Millennial actress. I don't even know Millennium Falcon. <laughs> that's that's, She's that's not a the millennial. millennial. She
0: was not it's born Vulcan. from eighty-two. No oh anymore. my bad.
1: Is that the one with the wings that are like in the X shape? Is that right?
2: Mm, yes, yeah, the Y wing.
1: the sick thing is we're gonna get so many emails from people (laughs) thinking that we're serious when we're deliberately trolling john anyway um point is i downloaded that but like forever ago when you and merlin talked about it uh and i still haven't watched it yet so i need to get on that
2: you mean you watched it legally on youtube when it was legally available on youtube
0: yes exactly with commercials with commercials